there, I am Matt Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Live Casino. And folks, football season is here, and Live Casino is where FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sports betting app, comes to life. Step up and place your bets at our self-service kiosk or with a sportsbook representative. Then cheer on your team and catch every heart-pounding moment of action on our huge 40-foot video wall. Bet, watch, and win at Live Casino Pittsburgh. Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I just found a bunch of odds and ends on the uh, the internet that I wanted to recite to you and comment on, give my opinion on. And I think that yeah, this is from Pro Football Focus. Some of their fantasy guys went around, you know, the whole fantasy circles, tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, and who were the unluckiest players in the league? Like, who should have scored more fantasy points than they actually did for a multitude of reasons? And, of course, Deontay, Deontay Johnson leads the list, you know, like by a wide margin. So, here's what here, – I'm just going to read what they said and I'll give my impression on it. Johnson recorded an NFL record 147 targets without a touchdown. The previous NFL high mark was only 109. Imagine getting targeted 147 times and not finding the end zone when 109 used to be the record. I mean, blew it out of the water. But he was so close to scoring on multiple occasions. He more than doubled the next closest wide receiver in terms of fantasy points below expectation. And what that means, I know all you guys are fantasy folks, he should have been 13th in expected fantasy points after A.J. Brown and Jamar Chase and ahead of Tyler Lockett and Christian Kirk. And what that means is if you get this many targets at this areas of the field and this down and distance, you should produce on average this many fantasy points, which is expected fantasy points. Now, there's great fluctuation with that. Like here's a good example. But usually it comes back to the mean. You know, maybe some guys are better at scoring touchdowns than others. Sure. But touchdowns are very random and yardage and targets are not. Targets are earned. Targets are earned. He got 147 targets. The fact that he didn't find the end zone is a massive anomaly. So here's an example I I like to cite from people. Like any of you guys who played fantasy, remember that week when Joe Mixon a month or two ago, he scored like five touchdowns. Well, going into that, Johnson and Mixon were the two unluckiest fantasy players in the league. And then one day, he catches or he gets in the end zone a bunch of times, and all of a sudden, his fantasy season comes back. Now, we're not here to talk about fantasy, but it just shows Johnson's season, Johnson's usage, Johnson's production was much better than I think most of us, most of the listeners tend to understand. You know, that... If he gets in the end zone, like next year, if he gets targeted 147 times, I'm putting his over under at five or six touchdowns. Like, I don't think this guy is going to be Larry Fitzgerald catching 12 and 15 or a big bodied guy that goes up and gets it in the red zone time and time again. But he's a good receiver that gets targeted a lot. You're going to find the end zone, you know, and he didn't. And 17 games are small samples. If you look at it over three years, He's right at the mean, you know what I mean? So I think that's, 
he's in the doghouse because he signed a big contract. He drops too many balls. He runs backwards. But he's still really good, and he deserves targets, and he gets them, and the production will be there. I think they're very happy with Johnson. Now, this I didn't know, and it kind of came in as an interesting sidebar to me. A lot of people, and again, this is another fantasy note, but it translates. A lot of people use the first-round pick on Najee Harris. You know, we all expected him to get massive volume, maybe not Ben-level catches, but a bunch of catches, short yardage work. Didn't know how much Warren was going to cut into his his uh, snap count. It was more than I expected before the season started, which is a good thing for the Steelers. But how about this, too? They're like, his numbers aren't great. You know, they were obviously a thousand times better the second half of the season. Um, and his yards per carry is always going to be low, as I often tell you. But I, this shocked me. So, Najee Harris. Nobody was stopped at the one-yard line more than Harris. Seven. Seven times on drives that did not end in a touchdown. Too bad almost only counts in horseshoes and hands grenades. That'd be funny. So does that mean he stinks at short yardage? I don't think so. I, <laughs> he's a big, strong guy who scored a lot of touchdowns at the end of the year. Wasn't entirely healthy at the beginning. The offense was starting to find itself. I don't want to say it's totally bad luck, but it's pretty bad luck. You know, like he was stopped at the one yard line on drives that didn't end with a touchdown more than anybody in the league. It was seven for him. Dalvin Cook was at six. Nobody else was at five. You know, there was Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, Travis Etienne, Tony Pollard, Kenneth Gainwell, Leonard Fournette at four. Those were the league leaders. So Harris was way above everybody else in that, that category. Kind of crazy to me. Again, like these things probably nine out of ten times will come back to the mean, you know. A um, couple other nuggets I found on the internet just recently. Sticking with Pro Football Focus, they did an exercise. And yesterday I did a bunch of breakdowns and last Wednesday of offense and defensive plans. That was my article this week too. And I'm going to give you guys a bunch of names that I want to see the Steelers go after, starting with free agents, but we'll get into the draft. But Pro Football Focus, for the last two days, they did a – Ideal target for every team on each side of the ball. Their target on defense for the Steelers is one that I very much agree with. And that's Kaiser White, linebacker. So I'm going to read what they said, some of which I don't really really agree with, but I like this target of a player. Steelers linebacker coach Brian Flores helped former top 10 pick Devin Bush put together a bounce back season in 2022 after a miserable start to his NFL career. And if he stays on with the Steelers in 2023, not a certainty given he's, he's fielding interview requests for open defensive coordinators jobs, he could take White to the next level. Well, I don't know that Bush had this great bounce back year. And I also don't think he started his career miserably. I thought his rookie year was good. So I disagree with some of the Bush analysis. Flores here or not, Sure, you'd rather he was here to develop any linebacker, Mark Robinson, whoever you bring in. Go listen to yesterday's podcast. I talked, you know, my linebacker strategy, but the crux of it is you better go get someone from outside the organization, which brings us to White. So if Miles Jack returns for Pittsburgh in 2023, which, as I mentioned, is no certainty, he pairs well as White, as Jack is a 250-pound big-bodied linebacker who at this stage of his career can't be relied upon to be a top coverage player. I agree with all that. White, 
on the other hand, is a great coverage linebacker in the modern NFL, matching up well with opposing running backs and tight ends, posting a 60-plus coverage grade in every season of his career thus far. He's not just a coverage backer, though, demonstrating solid three-down ability with 181 tackles and 99 defensive stops over the last two seasons. And he's not a huge name guy coming off his first contract. These are the type of dudes I think are really attractive with the Steelers. So I agree wholeheartedly with the player the Pro Football Focus mentioned. Some of the analysis I don't quite jive with. Uh, We'll be back in a minute. We'll talk about that offensive guy. Okay, so if you listen to last Wednesday's pod or my second most recent article, I think I'm more about drafting offensive players as opposed to going outside the organization for their needs and buying in free agency. But any way you cut it, O-line depth, maybe a starter, more O-linemen are needed, more good O-linemen are needed. They have five good ones, five quality ones. So their suggestion is the Patriots' Isaiah Wynn. Now, Wynn came out of Georgia, highly touted, first-round pick of the Patriots, but the knocks on him coming out of school were he's kind of built like a guard. He's 6'4". He's not super long. So is he a guard? Is he a tackle? Really good feet. Very agile. Um proven that he can do both, but he's kind of been a master of none, which worries you because he's been in the league now, what, four or five years? This is rookie contract. And so he's never proven to be a high-end starter at guard or tackle. But here's what they say. Pittsburgh's young offensive line got better as the season went on, but it can never hurt to have a quality depth at both tackle spots, especially as the Steelers bring along rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett. The Steelers almost never spend in free agency, so a reclamation project on a former first-round pick who can provide depth at both tackle spots seems right up their alley. Left tackle Dan Moore Jr. has progressed nicely after being selected in the fifth round of the 2021 draft, and Pittsburgh extended right tackle Chooksakora for last offseason. But Wynn is a nice insurance policy for both spots. Wynn graded above a 70 as a pass protector and as a run blocker, in 2020 and in 2021, with his 80.7 overall grade ranking 22nd among tackles. If a starting opportunity doesn't present itself, Pittsburgh is a good spot for a potential opportunity if either starting tackle falters early on in the 2023 season. A lot of that I agree with. Dan Moore has progressed nicely. He's a little strong. Uh, He also was not a fifth-round pick. He was drafted earlier than that, so that's wrong, but so be it. We've all made typos. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. This past year wasn't super kind to win, um, but I do think he would be a great addition because I always preach continuity, but position versatility up front is important too. You know, if Win looks like, boy, he's here and he's one of your five, well, maybe more then kicks into guard. Or Win is just your sixth man and he can fill in any of the ob- above. I'm going to bring this up a lot too. 
I would like to see more six offensive line sets. They did very little of that this year. Like once or twice a game, I'd like to see six or seven. And maybe in at the expense of a gentry or somebody like that. So I like this addition. And get him in a new environment. Get him out of New England. See what he can do at guard. Still moves well. He's had some injury stuff. But what they don't talk about here is... As I mentioned last podcast, when you're shopping, when you're going down the, the offensive tackle aisle in the grocery store, a can of beans is more than it should be. You know what I mean? Everything is very expensive. And that worries me, <laughs> to be very honest with you. That worries me a lot is why not use the 17th or one of the second round picks on a tackle instead? But that doesn't mean you can't. You know, I mean, if you had, if you go into the the draft with your starting five and win, and he's probably, I don't know what money you'd make. It's a tough one for me to peg down. I don't know that market well enough right off the top of my, top of my head, but it's not going to be chump change, but he probably is going to play for you at some point throughout the year. He's what maybe the only offensive line suggestion that I've seen that I think, okay, they'll probably find a spot for him. I like the former first-round pick pedigree. You know, pedigree is a big thing around here, and I agree with that aspect as well. So, interesting. I hadn't thought of that angle before I read this, but I'm, it's growing on me. Is one decent investment on offense, a guy like Wynn, draft another offensive lineman on top of that. Now you're seven deep of dudes you like. Bring back Haas, somebody along those lines too, round it out with those guys. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, One more nugget I found on the round I want to talk about. Boy, it's been a pro football focus heavy show. Sorry to do that to you, but such is life. Um, I guess they had a things to like column and their things to like for the Steelers. There were some concerns about first round pick Kenny Pickett not being able to beat out Mitch Trubisky for the starting job to open the season. But after eventually becoming the full-time starter, Pickett played well, especially down the stretch. Since week 12, he earned a 90.3 overall grade with an 88.5 passing grade. Though it was just a six-week span, this was very impressive to see. So, I get an email from the league every week, and they, again, pro football focus grades, take with a grain of salt, but it's better to be high than low. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather trust, trust the tape and my opinions than theirs. But we get a, an email every week. And on that email from the league, there's all kinds of stuff, stats to know. Some of my stats come out of there. But one of them is, these are all the players that graded a 90 or better this week. Usually it's like 15 names. But since week 12, his overall grade was over a 90. Like, 90's rarefied air in the pro football focus world. Now, do I think Pickett's rarefied air right now in terms of what he's playing at? No, but... They really think his passing grade is very strong. Very few turnover-worthy plays. That's key to me. So that's where I wanted to go with this, is just give you a minute or two on that, is Pickett, everyone was worried about the interceptions going into the bye because he had a lot. Okay, you know, if I'm just going to read the back of his football card, yeah, there's a lot of interceptions there going into the bye. Only one since. But one thing I do like pro football focus for is their turnover-worthy plays. As I've told you, when a quarterback releases a ball from his hands, he doesn't know if it's going to get tipped or dropped 
or goes off his his hands, the receiver's hands on a perfect pass and straight in the air, or if he hits a defender in the numbers, if he's going to catch it or not. So I like their stat of turnover-worthy plays. You know, if you put the ball in harm's way 50 times, but there's only 30 interceptions, well, there's some luck involved. If I put the ball in harm's way 32 times and there's 30 interceptions, well, you didn't get any breaks either. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that I like. I mean, again, the quarterback can't determine what happens to the football once it leaves his hands. But for the whole year, Kenny only had 12 turnover-worthy plays. That's a very low number for anyone. And I understand he didn't play every snap of every game. But for a rookie, that's really good. And that passes the eyeball test to me, too. I mean, like, in the second half of the season, rarely did I say, whoa, you got away with one. Lucky kid. Well, in the first half of the season, never did I say, pooh, got away with that one. He paid for everything at the beginning of the year. Unbelievably unlucky. Second half of the year, he didn't get unbelievably lucky. He just didn't put the ball in harm's way. So... These are highly positive things for Pickett that is dug up around the internet. So, all right, I'll be back tomorrow to conclude the week over and out. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.